ago, the scaffolding surrounding our beautiful church spire was removed. The following day, the New Haven Green experienced a kind of rebirth. I saw it from my balcony on the 12th floor of my apartment in the Union Building. People from all walks of life, young and old, rich and poor, lost and found, standing on the green, looking up, looking up at our majestic steeple with a sense of humility and wonder and awe. Now, did you know that the center church steeple is 18 stories high? I just found that out last week. It's amazing. What's even more amazing is from my 12th floor balcony, I am still looking up six stories at a steeple that was built in 1812. So that got me to thinking, why did people go to such great extremes to build steeples so high so long ago? Well, as it turns out, there were three reasons. First, because bells were often installed in steeples to be rung as a call to worship. And for people to hear them from afar, they needed to be higher than the surrounding buildings. Second, the Puritans also wanted people to be on time for church, so they installed clocks way up there as well. In the case of the center church Puritans, four clocks facing all four directions, which will be soon in tune and fixed in the next few weeks, so no excuse to be late for church. And lastly, and I think most importantly, the high steeples were designed to point toward heaven to remind us to look up and give humble thanks and praise to a higher power. Jarrett Lynch, the structural engineer of our church restoration project, put it beautifully. He said, there are five ledges on the center church steeple. 
When they transition from lower to higher, the architecture gets fancier and fancier. The top tier is ornate Corinthian, as it is the closest to heaven. The high steeples were designed to point toward heaven to remind us to look up and give humble thanks and praise to a higher power. The psalm I just read expresses the exact same theology by inviting us to be stargazers. When I look to the heavens, to the moon and the stars, what are human beings as you are mindful of them? You have made us a little lower than yourself, O God. You have crowned us with glory and honor. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name only in all the earth. Now, whenever I read that psalm, I immediately think of my father. He was a very successful businessman. He was also a very good dad. However, like most of us, he was far, far from perfect. Rather, his life was reminiscent of Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, a holy and a broken hallelujah. And yet it would not be overstated to say that he is the reason that I am standing up in this pulpit this morning. Perhaps some of you have had the experience. One day in your youth, someone said or did something that left a lasting impression on you, something that became a kind of guiding principle for the rest of your life. It happened when I was only 10 years old. My father and I were grilling in the backyard. And that was always a bit of a hair-raising, or I should say hair-singeing experience, because my dad had no idea how to light a charcoal fire. Instead of heaping the coals up on the grate like you're supposed to, he put them all flat, and then he drenched them with lighter fluid, and he lit it, and went poof. And he did this over and over again until finally the coals didn't have any choice. Over and over again. Well, after they burned out one night, something happened that I'll never forget. It was during one of those extremely long firefighting rituals that it happened. I get a little emotional just thinking about it. When the coals finally started to turn white, my dad relaxed with a sigh, at which point he did it something that I will never forget. This businessman suddenly looked into the night sky and he said, look at all those stars. Look at all that space. Where does it end? And if it ends, what's on the other side? He said that to a 10-year-old boy. Look at all those billions of stars. Look at all that space. Where does it end? And if it ends, what's on the other side? That was a defining moment in my life. When I look to the heavens, to the moon and the stars, what are human beings that you are mindful of us? You have made us a little lower than you. You have crowned us with glory and honor. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. On that night, in that brief moment, my father made me aware of what is quickly becoming a lost virtue in our culture. And that virtue, I submit, is reverence. A reverence that has a mixture of wonder and humility and praise. When I look to the heavens, to the moon and the stars, I experience wonder, the wonder of a power greater than myself. You have made us a little lower than yourself and crowned us with glory and honor. I am humbled. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All praise to you alone. 
This 3,000-year-old psalm is also a reminder that there is a critical hierarchy built into our created world, a critical hierarchy that without which the world falls apart. The top tier is our creator or higher power, as AA puts it. Below the creator are the angelic messengers. Below the angels are human beings. And below humans, the environment, including all creatures great and small. So there we have it, the essential hierarchy of creation. In our first reading for this morning, the angel actually put it beautifully. I, John, when I heard the voice, I fell down to worship the feet of the angel. But the angel said to me, you must not do that, for I serve God Almighty just like you worship God only. A reverence for the essential hierarchy of creation. Paul Woodruff, professor of humanities at the University of Texas, actually wrote a book about it. He argued that without reverence, life falls completely apart, our families, our community, our country, and our world. Without reference, reverence, it all falls apart. He also makes it clear that it is essential for politics to be reverent as well, perhaps even more so, he said. In his words, Political power without reverence is arrogant, shameless. Instead of uniting, it divides. It does not celebrate diversity and working together for a common good. Simply put, politics without reverence is uncivilized. I think he's on to something. Because history has shown time and again when world leaders exchange places with God, when they mess with that hierarchy, the result is a comprehensive lack of reverence. A lack of reverence for the environment, a lack of reverence for the truth, a lack of reverence for the rule of law, and finally, a lack of reverence for the Constitution. At least we think we're all safe. The same can be true for religion as well. History has proven time and again that religion can become irreverent as well. It happens when religious people insist that church tradition and historically fixed Bible verses have a higher authority than the mystery and the wonder of a living and loving God. Case in point, a lesson from history. The year is 1633. A 70-year-old man has been summoned to the Roman church. There in the presence of the Inquisition, he got down on his knees and read a statement that they had prepared for him. Wishing to remove from the minds of your eminences, for every true Christian, this vehement suspicion justly cast upon me. It is with a sincere heart and unfailing faith I do swear for the future that I shall never again speak or assert orally or in any writing such things that might bring me under similar suspicion." The man forced to make that confession's name was Galileo. And as you know, he was an astronomer. He believed on the basis of his observations that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the solar system, that the earth was one of many planets that revolved around the sun. But the church did not agree. The earth had to be at the center. That's what the Bible says, end of discussion. Well, after he recanted, the Inquisition sentenced Galileo to house arrest, and as punishment, he was ordered to listen to his daughter read out loud the seven psalms of penitence 
every day for the rest of his life. He lived for eight more years. Ironically, looking out the window, watching the planets revolve around the sun with his telescope. Now, it is not one of those penitential psalms. However, I like to imagine that every now and then his daughter slipped in, you guessed it, Psalm 8. When I look to the heavens, to the moon and the stars, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? You have made us a little lower than you, O God, crowned us with glory and honor. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Without that hierarchy of creation, life falls apart. So the big question this morning is how do we restore a sense of reverence in our community and our country and our world? 500 years before the birth of Christ, Plato put it like this, let parents bequeath to their children not riches but the spirit of reverence. Love that. Well, one way of doing that is simply encouraging young people to go to church again. Not every Sunday because we know they're flat out busy and they're never going to show up every Sunday, but maybe just once a month would be nice. Stop and think about it. When a little child comes into a majestic building like this, set apart for the sole purpose of cultivating reverence, that, I submit to you, is the best Sunday school there is. Where else on earth can they lay back in a cozy pew with their head on their parents' or their grandparents' lap and simply look up and dream and wonder? Look up and listen to an ancient pipe organ that has played the same hymns for hundreds of years. And where else on earth can a high school or college student or older adult like us look away from all screens, large and small, for one hour out of the week and simply look up? Look up at that beautiful medallion, which actually I could get lost in. A medallion that is vented into our 18-story steeple, where every Sunday our silent prayers, our silent cries for healing and wholeness waft upward toward heaven, reminding us that God watches over us and God loves us unconditionally. And on the days when we're not in church, we're all stressed out over things, the best thing we can do is to celebrate the shorter, darker season by making it a point to go outside in the evening and simply look up. Look up at a starry night with reverence and humility and praise and give thanks for the hierarchy of creation. Whenever I do that, I, of course, am reminded of my father looking up at those stars in the moment that he forever changed my life. And I'll never forget the day years later when that moment came full circle. He was in his office crunching numbers. I walked in and I said, Dad, I have something that I just need to tell you. I need to get it out. At which point he spun around in his chair and he removed his wire reading glasses Dad, I've decided to go to divinity school and become a minister. After what seemed like a very long, awkward silence, he looked up at me and he said, Have you considered an MBA? But it was too late. It was too late and it was all his fault. Look at all those stars. Look at all that space. Where does it end? And if it ends, what's on the other side?